You're listening to another sermon by Pastor Michael Zapata from the Potter's House Christian Church. The book of Acts chapter 20, starting at verse 7. Now over the years, uh, I've had the uh, privilege of being able to witness firsthand people who fall asleep in church. And uh, you always have those notorious people, uh, and I remember as a young, uh, you know, teenager watching and laughing and, you know, immediately being smacked by mum because we're poking fun at people. Uh, this one particular uh, individual, I won't mention his name, but Mr. McVilly would always fall asleep. And he would hide it in such a beautiful way because he would just, he would just nestle in with his head not being able to tilt back. So he would kind of roll his shoulders forward and he would just nestle in and then just nod. And he would do that throughout the whole service. He was asleep. He was not listening. And uh, ultimately, uh, we would uh, uh, make fun of that and still remember it to this day. One, one person said, if you took all the people in the world who fall asleep during church and laid them head to toe in a straight line they'd be a lot more comfortable. Tough crowd, hallelujah. Book of Acts chapter 20, uh, we're going to be reading at a passage of scripture that caught my attention at a man by the name of uh, Eutychus who fell asleep during one of the Apostle Paul's sermons and how we need to learn from that uh, a sermon entitled uh, The Urgent Word. Out of the book of Acts, chapter 20, starting at verse 7 through to 12. The Bible says these words, Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came to gather to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. In a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down, fell on him, and embraced him and said, Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. Now when they had come up and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till daybreak, they, he departed and they brought the young man in alive, and they were not a little comforted. The urgent word, I want to look at firstly and focus what's happening in this passage of Scripture. This is the final word Paul is preaching, and he is traveling finally in his third mission trip. He is now in Turkey at about 57 AD. So we've got Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, which was not long, you know, just only a few years before this, and, you know, a couple of decades before this. And so now we have the urgency of, the, of Paul. He is ministering. He is going from city to city, traveling around Greece, Asia Minor, to be able to make sure that people who have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ are being imparted the right doctrine. And so here he is at a final word, bringing a message. And this message was going from day to night. 
Now, Troas is in the plain of Troy. And so you could only imagine uh, this was a city fortified that wanted, that was being uh, impacted by the gospel. Uh, And so here is Paul. He is taking this time with his fellow brothers and sisters uh, to be able to impart. uh, And while this all is happening, uh, this young man is listening, but he's listening uh, on the windowsill. He is a young man, Eutychus, who uh, is hearing the word of God and no doubt wants to be uh, in church and hear from the man of God. Uh, But as he's doing this, it has gone on for what uh, he felt was beyond time and started to be overcome by sleep. This is in verse 9. He says, he was overcome by sleep because Paul continued speaking. And as he did, he fell down three stories. Now, you have to imagine... uh, There's there's no security windows, there's nothing preventing this young man to be able to fall. And so when he fell, he fell. He properly fell. The writer of Acts is uh, uh, known to be Luke, who was the physician, who was someone who understood what it meant to be alive and dead. And so when the Bible says he fell and he died, he died. It wasn't just this uh, a moment of, of falling three stories and he hurt his ankle. Uh, the Bible says this, Luke, the, the writer of the book of Acts, uh, he's a physician. He says he died. And so this was a, a, a very moving moment and, and uh, in this uh, particular time. I remember when I was uh, growing up as a teenager, everything was uh, measured by where you sat. And so, you know, in the classroom, the closer you sat to the front, you were the goody two-shoes. You were the people that were listening. Uh, you were answering the questions. You had the apple for the teacher. And, th- and that's just, that was the image of someone who sat front and center. Uh, and uh, as a result, you know, I wanted to be cool. And so I would always sit uh, in, uh, in the back seats, right? We're all the rebels seat. Look at yourselves. That's, that's yous. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. The back seats is the sound desk. But here is this whole... <laughs> it's where we sat, and we would be at the back of the uh, you know, classroom. We'd be at the back of the bus, and, and you'd do all the riffraff. The teachers wouldn't even dare go to the back. Why? Because that was where all the commotion was happening. It was that position. It was a stance. We don't want, we're not here to learn. We don't want to hear what you have to say. This young man, Eutychus, probably uh, was young enough uh, that he could actually stand. And so he would have been on a windowsill. All the seats or the floor would have been taken up uh, by the elder men and people in that place. And so being a young man, he just naturally gravitated to the furthest part of that location, of that building. And it caused him to actually be kicked out of the service. Where you stand is very important. And this determines whether you rise or you fall. The Bible says in in the, uh, uh, you know, there was five widow, uh, five, sorry, five virgins, uh, uh, ten virgins, five foolish, five wise. uh, And it was five of them that took uh, the waiting for the bridegroom to come seriously. uh, And they packed enough oil to make sure that when he came, they were ready. 
There were five foolish that just despised that and thought, you know what, when the time comes, we'll prepare, we'll get ready. And the tragedy is, is that the five foolish are removed from the wedding feast. And so this is a picture, an image of where you stand. It's important. It's, it matters how you think and how you process the Word of God and, and being in the house of God and things that are spiritual. Jesus urged the disciples to watch and pray. It was at a time that He was going to face a crucifixion. He was going to be a, a, you know, a killed publicly in front of the multitudes. And Jesus is going through a difficult time. He says, go, watch and pray. He comes back and they're asleep. They've fallen and, and, and we know the words, you know, the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. Couldn't you just watch and pray for a moment? And it shows that generally as, a, 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 you know, human beings, we are prone to do things at a lower nature that we will overcome by, by sleep and things that remove us from the will of God. And so here is Eunuchus. He's a young man. He is now at the back of the church. He's not listening or he's not paying attention. He can't, he's overcome by sleep and immediately is removed from that service. Now, it's possible to be in the presence of God and still not allow the words to minister. I know this because I was brought up in church. For many years, I sat under preaching and, uh, you know, my parents would always wrestle with me because I'd want to bring my Game Boy to church. I didn't want to listen. I didn't want to pay attention. There were these nuggets the pastor was throwing, these jewels that he was talking about. And I was just, I just want to play my Game Boy. I want to play Mario Brothers. And, and, and that was what I was fixated on. And unfortunately, I, I just grew into that whole mindset where church was just a a waste of time. And as I went into my teenage years, I despised being in church. Now, the tragedy is, is that we can grow older in age and still not understand what's happening in the Scriptures. That we don't take the time and invest and actually study out what it is to be a Christian, what it is to actually live clean. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 4, the Bible says, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Here is Peter, and he's writing about the Jews, and he's saying, You know what? You missed the Messiah. They were crying out saying, where is the Messiah? Where is the one who is supposed to redeem us? And they fell asleep. While they were asleep, Jesus came and they missed it. God forbid that be us. God forbid that be that moment where God brings a revival and we're far away. We don't, we don't miss it. We're present, but not, you know, lights are on, but no one's home. We need to stay awake. Can everybody say amen? We need to stay woke in this modern generation. If I can just throw out a little bit of lingo. Matthew chapter 13, 25. Jesus brings a very powerful parable about the wheat and the tares. And he says that while the man slept, his enemy came and sowed tares amongst the wheat and 
went his way and he recounts that and says that as a result uh, the wheat and the tares and we know that uh, uh, the wheat is what brings uh, the income the tares is of no use and uh, and yet you have to you have to harvest it you're going to do all this work and exert yourself uh, to gather in the wheat and the tares uh, and yet the only thing that brings money into the bank is the wheat, and yet you're having to work hard to bring this all in. But it was while the man slept that this happened, that something was planted, uh, that some deceptive word was uh, uh, put into your mind, and all of a sudden you are not thinking straight. You make a decision, uh, and you fall away. You fall asleep from what God's trying to do. That's exactly how the devil works. He's waiting that moment. So I want to look secondly at hanging in the balance. Because it's important to note that this young man wanted to be in church. And that's, a good, and that's good news. Now again, I'm not here to try to advocate dragging your kids to, uh, to church. Forcing your kids to go to school. Yeah, okay. Tell them. <laughs> the doors are locked and I'm changing the locks. Uh, you can't get back in, so go to school, Right? Going to church, it's a time where, hey, mom and dad, we believe in this and you need to kind of, you know, once you get to an age, you can look after yourself. You don't want to come, you can stay, keep your funky spirit at home and we're going to go serve Jesus Christ. But it's amazing at how, it, as a parent, you recognize if your child wants to come to church, that's a miracle especially with the right attitude. And so it's a miracle to be able to see young people wanting to serve God and be involved and signing up for ministry and having a heart to, to read the Bible and, and do this from a young age. It was Jeremiah that the Bible says, God spoke to him, don't despise your youth. Because it's important to understand of how much of a miracle it is uh, not just to have a church filled uh, with mature age people, but also to have the next generation rising up. The truthful fact is that you can't be one foot in the world and one foot in church. And that's the thing that teenagers wrestle with throughout their teenage high school years where you are wrestling with whether I don't know if it's cool enough to be in church or tell my friends that I go to church or I have faith. And so as a result, they keep it to themselves. They pretend to be, you know, cool and not a Christian. And then when they come to church, they put on this different mask and play this other role as a Christian. And they do this backwards and forwards. This doesn't, this doesn't last very long. You can't even do this as you get older. One foot in the church and one foot in the world. Eventually, you're going to have to make a stand. Because what we see is that at a moment of weakness, is that when we, that's when we fall. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around you like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That's a scripture for all the sipping saints, uh, where if you're not sober, the devil's going to strike you down. If you're not uh, in the right frame of mind, if you're not aware of your enemy, uh, he's going to get you at the moment where you are the most vulnerable. Uh, and listen, that's what the devil looks for, the strugglers, the ones that are sitting on the fringes, the ones that are 
making a decision. Should I come to church tonight or should I just stay home? Should I read my Bible or should I just go out and, and socialize with my friends? It's at those weak moments that the devil is targeting to see if he can break the connection between you and your Father in heaven. Why? Because you can't be one foot in the world and one foot in church. You have to at one point make a decision. And let me just say this, even coming to church, is gonna, you're going to be faced with obstacles. Some things are going to arise either in the pews with your brothers and sisters or it's going to come from the preaching where you hear a sermon and it kind of, you know, it doesn't sit well with you. You think, oh, what is... What does a pastor mean by that? And something is provoked. You're going to have to make some hard decisions so that you make that commitment and say, you know what, I'm going to serve the one and true living God. You know, the woman with the issue with blood, the Bible says, had been bound by this affliction in her body for year after year after year. She finally hears that Jesus Christ who's performing miracles, is coming through her city. And it's amazing to read that uh, the moment she steps into the city streets uh, and people uh, recognize this woman is unclean, uh, that they immediately move out of the way and this woman with the issue of blood just walks straight through to where Jesus is, right? No. Are you guys reading your Bible? The opposite happens. They don't care about her. They're not worried about your affliction. Get in line. We're all afflicted. I've had the sniffles for the last week. And she's there. I've been afflicted for years. And the Bible says she gets to the point where she says, I want to touch the hem of his garment. But she finds the crowd is an obstacle. That she just can't get a pathway through. And all of a sudden, she just gives up and says, you know what, fine, I'm going home. No, she doesn't. She perseveres and she goes through the crowd. She's fighting people off, right? She's a woman. There are men that are surrounding Jesus Christ. And if you've ever been in a heavily populated crowd maybe it's boxing day sales or you're at a place where it's like the front of a concert scene and you want to be right there at the stage listen nobody's moving oh you're 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 a young you know small person why don't you come on through straight to the front absolutely not it's like the line at kfc you aren't going to cut into the front you'll get smacked right it gets it gets serious when it's fried chicken And so here is this woman, the Bible says, if I can only touch the clothes, I shall be made well. And she pushes through the crowd and she's healed. That's a picture of us not being willing to fall and be overcome by the obstacles that many times we face in in everyday church services. There are always obstacles. We have to be willing to face them. The young man, Eutychus, was sitting in a church service. The Bible says he was overcome by sleep. You know, they say, well, when you're driving, yawning is a warning, right? As soon as I say that, people are like, yawning is contagious. The moment you start yawning, it's a warning, right? You have to stop, 
revive in order for you to survive, right? Some of you, you know, you feel the urge of like, pastor's preaching at least 25, oh. <laughs> Think about what's happening. Don't be overcome by sleep. Stay awake. Because you don't want to miss out on what Christ is doing. You don't want to miss out on the moment. Imagine somebody else fell asleep, but he's on the far corner. Eutychus has fallen three stories off the, off the ledge. He's been resurrected. They all rush back up, and they wake up the guy that's still there, and they're like, oh, what happened? He just died and came back to life. Oh, I missed it? Can we do it again? No. It's not going to be, there's no repeats. Got to stay awake to be able to experience firsthand what Jesus Christ wants to do in these last days. We can't reenact that, right? There's only so much we can testify. You've got to be here to be able to experience firsthand what Jesus Christ wants to do in these last days. So I want to look thirdly and in closing at continuing in life. This scripture ends with great encouragement because the boy doesn't die. Thank God for that. He is resurrected. And this is one of the very few resurrections we have in the entire Bible. We know the Old Testament has a few moments there of resurrection. This becomes the second resurrection after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so first you have one resurrection that transpires only a few chapters before. Then we have this one that's in Turkey and no doubt ignites the city, right? That sets the church on fire. This young man falls. It's a mistake. It's unfortunate. But here the Bible says that Paul embraces him and brings him back to life. This brought a reassurance that where they were was the right place. That God was involved in these services. Could you imagine testifying of that Paul came through somebody died and he brought him back to life and where were you I was at KFC what I had a auntie's grandma's birthdays dogs nephews cousins what we saw someone come back to life that's powerful and this is what created the momentum in Turkey to be able to now propel all that God was going to do. No doubt this would have been the talk of the city, the talk of the town. This was confirming that Jesus Christ isn't buried. He's not in the grave. He's alive. He's risen from the dead and he can transform anyone he comes in contact with if you allow him to. 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, Therefore let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. The young man experienced the embrace of God as Paul grabbed him and released the life that was in him. Paul went down, fell on him and embraced him and said, Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. 
This is what caused Eutychus to come back to life. And what a wonderful story to be able to experience. This is exactly what happens when you and I come in contact with our Lord Jesus Christ. That we're resurrected, we're brought back to life. Maybe we walk in and we're weary, we're tired, we're exhausted. But one moment, one encounter with Jesus Christ brings us back to life. It's interesting that Eutychus actually means fortunate. His name means fortunate. And aren't we just fortunate enough to be able to know that we are saved and that our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Aren't we fortunate to know that we're saved by grace? That's the power of the resurrected Christ. That He didn't die and go into a grave and now we just hope that one day we'll make heaven our home. We know that we can know that we can know. And that happens because we expect God to move supernaturally. So staying on the cutting edge involves you, number one, being in fellowship. There is nothing more destructive than being isolated, than not being in the house of God regularly. You need to contend to be in the house of God, fellowship with your brothers and sisters. Go and be around like-minded people. The Bible says that the disciples, the people of God were in one accord. That wasn't speaking about a Honda Accord. That was speaking about the right mind, being in the right spirit, the same spirit as one another. Fellowship, secondly, is being involved in the Word. I can't stress enough to be able to compel you. Get to know the Scriptures. Find out what the Word of God says about you and about your destiny in Jesus Christ. Why? Because the Word of God is filled with promises, filled with life. And you, if you would give yourself to it, there is nothing boring. There's nothing dead about the Word of God. It's alive. Can anybody say amen? It's a resurrecting power. And if you would apply it to your marriage, to your children, you apply it to your own personal life, that which is dead comes back to life. Number three is always contending for miracles. There's nothing more discouraging than being in a church that has stopped believing for the supernatural, has stopped believing for miracles to happen. Could you imagine if the church in Troas come down and said, great, another death. Get ready for the funeral. Call up, call them up, get the casket. But instead there was an expectancy. They believed and Paul didn't even hesitate, didn't even flinch. He didn't even cry out. He didn't even begin to, he just embraced him. It's okay, he's back to life. Let's go back up there. Let's fellowship and keep preaching. The Bible says they preached until the day came back, right? Midnight, daybreak. That's a long sermon. Aren't you glad I keep it down to about 30? Praise God for that. But see, contending for miracles keeps us alive, keeps us on the cutting edge. You know, we've been saved for a time as this. And we're living in the last days. And at any moment, Jesus Christ could come back. And I want to encourage you, uh, don't waste this opportunity. Don't waste these precious moments. For years, I sat in the back uh, and just missed what God was doing. 
Finally, God arrested my heart. And I'm so thankful for the power of discipleship, for the impartation of men of God that had a vision and were still contending for miracles. The past that I, that I grew up under, you know, he didn't even believe that people could get saved anymore. Didn't even, it did, I mean, it didn't even bother him that people weren't getting saved in our church. Then Pastor Mitchell comes, Pastor Payne comes, and we're seeing people saved, healed, delivered, and it was an expectancy. Every service we thought, if there's a visitor that comes in, they're going to get saved. If there's someone that's uh, sick, they're going to get healed. And it happened every single time. You ought to believe that the people you witness to, uh, the people that you're surrounded by, uh, when you witness to them and tell them about the gospel of Jesus Christ, they're going to go, I want that. Don't hesitate. Don't worry about uh, how it's going to happen or where and it's going to. Just be encouraged. Contend for the miracle. Say, you know what? The moment I tell you about what I know, it's going to transform your whole life. It's the urgency of the hour. Paul realized this was my final word to Troas. I'm leaving tomorrow. I'm going away. What you do with this message is going to dictate whether the gospel continues to be preached in Turkey and Asia Minor. That is our mandate. I trust that the word of God tonight be invested into your life. Take hold of what God's doing and let's be involved uh, in these last days. I want every head bowed and every eyes closed. No one moving around just for a few moments.